Hi, I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to Consultants Saying Things. Uh, this is the special 2018 Christmas edition uh, of the of the podcast, and uh, I'm joined by Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shermali, Bill Bensing, uh, as usual. Uh, in this episode, uh, each of us takes a look back uh, on the year uh, and talks about uh, either uh, business, technology, personal, professional uh, issues, items, experiences, and we actually uh, take some questions. Uh, that were submitted from some of you viewers out there. So uh, I, I did want uh, to take a special moment and thank everyone for uh, tuning into this podcast. Uh, four guys sitting around uh, talking about uh, business and technology issues and things that we see in our careers. Um, it, it, uh, I think it's, it's meant a lot to the four of us uh, that people uh, have actually watched it and, and come back and watched it again. Um, and uh, what I would encourage you to do is uh, stick with us uh, go out, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, visit our website, www.consultantsayingthings.com, uh, and uh, you know, keep up with us uh, in uh, 2019. Uh, lots of exciting things in store. So uh, again, thank you. Uh, I give you the podcast. I've got my eggnog latte. Um, I'm going to sit back and watch this with you. So here we go. Consultant Saying Things, the 2018 Special Christmas Edition. I wanted to basically... You know, this is a year, a season for taking stock, right? Of uh, reflecting on the year gone by, um, and planning for the year to come. So I was thinking we could have sort of, you know, British television, right? Always seems every, every series seems to have a, a Christmas special, right? There was. Um, is this the Doctor Who special? It's like the Doctor Who special. <laughs> this is the Christmas special, right? So first of all, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Um, I have my Christmas tree over here. Um, there are some Santa Clauses that my wife insists on putting in here every year. Um, but so uh, basically wanted to have sort of a, a, a last episode of, of the year. Um, you know, we've got we've got 12 episodes in the can, which Ooh. is not bad considering we started, I think, what, April? Since um, we started with none, that was the way I think I would do. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We went from none to twelve. Look at that. So yeah. That's like that's like a hundred percent increase. It's like multiple thousands of percentages. <laughs> I uh, think we did we did it better than Peter Thiel. <laughs> he went from zero to one and we went from zero to twelve. That's right. Um and so, you know, uh not bad. I uh I actually spent some time reaching out to the thousands of people who have liked a video or watched a video or commented on a video. I didn't reach out to all of them, obviously, but I've selected a few people. And I, um, I've got uh, a list of questions in email. I've written a few of them down. Um, and uh, we, can, we can get to the, the question and answer session um, at some point here today. Um, all right, so holiday beverage. Uh, mine is a- I thought it was tea. Yeah, uh, it, well, it's tea in the teacup. Not really supposed to be drinking, but um, it's a Doppelbach. Deepwater Doppelbach. This segment brought to you by Deepwater Doppelbach. Deepwater Doppelbach. Smooth, rich Deep taste of Friday. All 12 ounces <laughs> brewed in South Carolina. <laughs> I like the little cards in the bottom. Like, like it's yeah. really official. Like, all right, yeah. we're going. How has everyone's year been? Shashi, how has your year been? What's one thing from this year that you have as a takeaway, as, as something that you're reflecting on and thinking, man, that was awesome. 
I don't know if this is this is if this is going on uh, LinkedIn, it might be dangerous to put it out there. Dangerous could be dangerous. I know. That's why I'm not going to you know. Yeah. Edit. No client names. No, yeah. no, no people names. How about that? No, no, but people would understand. Don't, don't admit to any felonies. That's yeah. true. No, no crimes. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. So and let me think. Why don't you start with let's say just, else. just in case any future uh, prosecutors, special investigators looking at this, we have consent from all of us to record uh, what's going on here. So, <laughs> um, all right, I'll go first then. How yes. about that? Yeah. So, um. I had a major health event uh, in early October um, after, you know, I don't know how long have I been traveling, 15 years of air travel, you know, two to six times a week, every week for 15 years. I uh, collapsed in the middle of the night and was rushed to the ER with um, double pulmonary, double acute pulmonary embolisms blood clots that had formed over time from travel and frankly not moving enough and had collected to the point where there was no blood flow going through my lungs to my body. So I spent a while in the hospital and um, I'm on a bunch of medication which prohibits me from drinking alcohol. However, that being said, um, what did I learn from this? Um, Obviously, one is that I'm not indestructible. Chris, what did you learn from this? I, I, I'm not indestructible like I thought I was. But applying it to sort of, you know, consulting and the industry and getting at that sort of, you know, we're practitioners. What have we learned? What can we pass on? You know, everyone sort of thinks like, oh, flying, glamorous. Oh, travel, cities, expense accounts, whatever it is. Oh, that's amazing. The reality of, of it is, yes, occasionally it can be, it can be fun. But it's a fucking grind, man. I'm telling you right now, if you are looking to enter this industry and you think, you know, hey, it, I'm going to have it all, you're not. You are going to sacrifice your health for sure, no matter what you do, no matter how much you exercise. You're going to sacrifice your relationships. I have four kids. I hardly ever see them. They probably don't know who I am, right? And Yes, you may do well at work. And yes, you may be able to, you know, <coughs> um, increase your uh, your brand and do all of these great and wonderful things for your clients. But it's not a zero cost. So I, my takeaway is the grind, it finally caught up to me, right? And, um, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing where I look at, you know, 2019 and I think to myself, you know, how am I going to actually change what I do as work or who I am? Uh, in private life in order to, you know, live. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I get the the big side of that, Chris, but I mean, a lot of people, something like that would happen and, you know, they get over it, whatever it takes, few weeks, couple months, maybe, and nothing really changes. Mm. Does anything really changing for you or what do you think will change for you? I mean, yeah. I know you're still pretty close to it. You know, this is only a few months, a couple months old, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, no, that's a great question, right? Um, so, first of all, this is actually uh, my first drink in over two and a half months, right? So, and for Shashi, you know me pretty well, right? That's a fairly astonishing thing, right there. I, I, I can't believe it. Right. We're, we're all trying to figure out how. A pulmonary embolism beat alcohol poisoning. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I was on borrowed time. It caught up with me. You know, 
that grind is real. Um, you can't escape it and it will eventually catch up with you. So if I was in college looking to go to consulting, I, I, I think I've just figured out that based on what you said, I need to find another job somewhere else. <laughs> Unless I'm going to work out three times a day and do it for the rest of life or also wake up at the age of 31 on the floor with That's a right. pulmonary embolism. Right. Alone in a hotel room someplace. But just a, just a thought, right? Do you think, um, you know, what we eat and what we drink and how we conduct ourselves beyond the work hours um, is not addressed as part of the project. But given that we are on project for four days a week, why don't we have some of those like special type of initiative which an engagement manager or a partner in the project, um, you know, kind of cultivates good habit around that, let's say whether it's going to the gym as a team in the morning uh, and puts more discipline around it saying that, hey, we are not going to eat, we will eat junk only once in four days, but rest three days, we are not going to eat junk. So it's being more disciplined around that. And you do scoring, you can do some level of gamification, you incentivize people. But when you have the group, what you just said, the group energy can channel you into bad habits of eating and drinking, but the group energy can also move you in the positive direction. How about I challenge consulting partners yeah. and make it as a positive energy? Yeah, and I think even going further than that, and you know, uh, large companies like uh, like Price Waterhouse that has both an audit and um, you know advisory arm, right? They um, obviously, even if you're not working in the audit area, even if you're working in the advisory area, you still have all sorts of compliance rules and, and regulations that you have to do training on, mandatory and adhere to. I don't see why there's um, any reason why you couldn't also have and I don't know what it would be, but some sort of health mandates, right? I, I mean, because I mean, they're they're investing a lot of money in these people, especially when you get to partner and above. That's a lot of money that the that the clients and the firm has put into that person. You can't allow that person to die of a heart attack in their fifties. There was a consulting firm that was working with me at a previous job, working for me, and one of the individuals by the name of Doug was a very avid rock climber. After we'd go and we'd work a full day, we'd go and we'd hit the rock gym or the climbing gym. I don't want to call it like a bonding because that's really what it that was not meant. It was like, let's just get together, let's climb, maybe we go for beers afterwards or something like that. But it actually helped the project out a lot. It helped because we had time to sit back, think. I mean, there's some blood flow and, and we talked about things that we may not have talked about. We asked questions we may not have asked about. It, it helped cultivate relationships among individuals. It's pretty hard to rely upon the team or the corporate culture to do this. You, as a consultant, have to decide on your own, this is what you're going to do. And if you can drag some other people with you into not dying while you're at work, right, um, then I then that's a pretty good thing, right? So I think, like, the thing that we did, you know, when my office was downtown, you know, we walked a couple of miles at lunch four days a week, right? I mean, it just it was part of the regular routine. It's what we would do. We'd walk two miles and eat lunch. Um, but, uh, it, but the thing is, now that I don't have that routine, I clearly can miss it. I have to figure out other things to do so I don't gain weight, so I don't keel over whatever. You know, you're talking about mind, body, and soul in a way, right? And it's real easy for those of us who are working with ideas and working with people to not go out and take care of ourselves while we are doing that. It's just, it can be easy, but uh, we're not really delivering 100% when we do that because our brains are getting tied up in a body that's we're poisoning. Uh, how can we solve that problem? What can we do with that? I think that's great, that's great advice. 
So uh, th that's true. And one more responsibility what we has as a senior consulting um, people is to nurture the next generation of uh, millennials or whatever you want to call them as um, who are joining the workforce into consulting. Cheaper replacement. Yeah. So when, when they, they when they come in, um, they get free food, they get free drink, and you know there is a chance that they might go in some other direction uh, rather than being straight. So it's it's like a fraternity based uh, moral responsibility to guide them in the right direction. Yeah. Agreed. Or corrupt them. Right. However. <laughs> okay. I'm depressed. I know, right? So, all right. So that was the, that was my that was my depressing one. So, um, Phil Yanoff, give me a thing. What's 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 if you, your year in review? You're looking through the year. A real positive thing for us that I thought was going to be super hard and turned out to be something that we just had to be open to and make some changes and poof, we were able to pull together. But you know, we we expanded Tech After Five into Bangalore using a team of folks to run a Tech After Five, a live networking event in Bangalore, according to the way we normally do it. And that has just been amazing. You know, we've already had two successful events. We're going to start back up in January. They're taking December off, which makes sense, travel and all that. But uh, they'll be back in January. But they their evaluation, the leaders down there have said, this has exceeded all of their expectations for what they thought they could do in two months. And they're excited about, you know, doing more of these. So uh, I, just talk, I got off a call with them there a week or so ago. And they said, you know, I see it's our job that we have to go and find our sponsors for next year because this event is really useful to our audience and we want to help them. Congratulations, I, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but uh, that was a thing that, you know, we started it once before, but I couldn't quite, it was me. I'm, I mean, I was the holdup on that. Right. And then I said, all right, well, let's try it again. Let's try this and let's see what happens. And I was very tenuous about it, but I had to like, say, look, these people understand what I'm trying to get done and they agree. And so they want to go do it there. And they did. And so poof, you know, we're, uh, we're doing something nine and a half time zones away. And so what what from that um, are you able to, you know, incorporate back into the, the U.S. based events that you do? Or is there is there anything? Oh, there's stuff already. I mean, again, they've only done two events. Right. But they came up with some ideas for execution that were a little bit different than what I was doing. And we kind of did a feedback loop on that and said, let's try it. And that's pretty cool. We may change some things that we're doing around badging and how we talk to them. Uh, but the other thing was I figured out that we can run an event remotely, right? I don't have to be at all of these. And so I have taken the opportunity to put together kind of a book and we're putting together a guide. So if someone wants to go run these in their own city, there's, we can license them to do that. Are you planning a trip to India? Yeah. So I, so here's what, here's what I think right now. We have a, a team and I'm very confident that they will successfully execute Bangalore next year. We have some contacts in Hyderabad as well, and maybe some second order contacts in Chennai. And what I would like to think is that maybe by late next year, we might even have tech after five or two or three cities. And then we would go and make a loop and visit them. 
I mean, not that I wouldn't go just for Bangalore. I would, but wouldn't it be so cool to say, you know what, this worked so well. We think we can run more events than that and go around and visit a few of them. I, so, you know, <clears throat> I think about like uh, the tech community uh, in Greenville, South Carolina versus the tech community in Bangalore, India. Yeah, you mean there's quantity? a lot of freaking people over there, right? Oh, so, that's a lot of people. So let me know if you need any help, Phil, if to connect with people in any of these cities. I certainly can extend my network for you. Well, I would. That'd be great, and we and we may well do that. So I, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, there's t there's a ton of people, and that it's it is different. You know, it's kind of funny. The my lesson out of this, you know, everyone said, you know, Bangalore, it's just like America, just like America. It's kind of like America. It's true that they speak English, but their holidays are on different days. They're packed a little tighter. Um, you know, it, there's some things that we've figured out how to accommodate, and it's but it's fun. Do you do? Do you still do the free beer? Because I know that that's part of you know uh, the 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 gig. So, I, I, oh, so let me just say, it is at this point part of our gig, right? We think that's core, that we that there is a free beer for the IT professionals in the room. And uh, I insisted on that with them. And in fact, that was one of the things the team resisted. And I said, you're going to send the wrong message if you don't do it this way. Let's just try it. And in the end, they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. This works. Can I ask, is it a free beer or is it free beer for the event? Yeah, we don't do free beer for the event because there's guys like Lockhart here that would drink us out of house at home. So we, uh, no, here's the thing. My job isn't to get a bunch of people drunk. I never did want that. But I do think that I, if I put a beer in their hand, that getting that first one in their hand makes the conversation start easier. And that's what I really want to do. I mean, I want to put 50 to 100 people in a room and have them have a great conversation in advanced tech, the tech space for wherever they are, right? Whatever they're doing in their career, I want them to talk and talk with each other and talk to people who are frankly non-tech is part of the formula but the, the fact is they could have they build things back and forth you know I just was talking to somebody this week and they reminded me that three years ago when they moved into Greenville brand new they're in the city in my city and they came to tech after five and at their very first event they walked out with two job offers and you know, worked for this cat for a couple of years before they decided to retire. But the idea is that's what we want to do. Some people were helping them find a job, and that's that's what we do. That is awesome. Sure. I mean, I love that kind Perfect. of stuff, right? I, you know, um, so you know, thinking again about how many people there are. It is there a, is there a cutoff? Do you have like we're only going to do it with a hundred people or five hundred people? Because conceivably, in a place like that, you could get thousands oh. of people. Yeah, it, it really could be big. So what we're doing is we're limiting the number of tickets, right? And the thing we will continue to turn the dial on it. But in the space that we're doing this in Hyderabad, for example, we can comfortably stand fifty or sixty people. So uh, you know, we we change the numbers so that we're only going to have the right number of folks in the room. And then after that, we just say sorry. This uh, in, in the spirit of Christmas, there's no room at the end at that point. Right? <laughs> yeah, exclusive. You need to make an exclusive club. That's right. It's only, yeah. That's right. And it, it gets that way, right? We just tighten it down. And if we ever think we're a little bit light, we open it up a little bit. We grab in a few new people and then clamp it up. That is true. Love it. That's good stuff. So I like that a lot. 
I think Thanks. congratulations. Um, I've I've been to a few of them over the years. Yeah. And uh, it it's always a good good event, and you, you know you always meet somebody, right? That's what I always like about it. You always meet somebody. It it is crazy. The you know, both famous and near famous and interesting people that you just run into. I might've told you that uh, last month up at the Charlotte event, um, the dude walks up and of course I just saw the name Wales down on there in the check-in list. Right. And I said, well, that's a good name for a tech event. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, like Jimmy Wales, I said, the Wikipedia guy, I said, you spell it the same. And then I looked at him and he said, I'm his brother. And I said, oh, I can see that. <laughs> I mean, they looked enough alike that it was pretty clear. They were brothers. Very, very cool. Very cool. All right. Who wants to go next? Year in review, reflection on on what has been. I'll give in. I've, I've kept quiet long enough. Okay. <laughs> in character for me. So first off, Phil, that's awesome. The, the stuff you do is amazing. So being in the startup thing myself, um, having very impactful um, networking and that just events like that are great. Um, they they help out the community um, when they're when they're done well. And it definitely sounds like you're doing it extremely well. And that's, that's exciting for me from a long ways away. But uh, let's see. Startup, man. So my year, I left my corporate world in January 1 of this year. And I left, went back in the startup world after now three years of being in the corporate world. Um, love the startup scene because I get to drink beer at noon and talk to three amazing people. And um, I have nobody to be responsible for except myself. So um, that's awesome. That's the benefit. But uh, the downside is the observations I've had. Um, there's a lot of interesting observations around business. So as we've talked about over 12 episodes of technology and big companies versus, you know, we talk a little bit about startups. Um, there is a flair to building a business around technology that I just don't think a lot of companies grasp today. When I say a lot of companies, it's probably the older ones, the ones that probably haven't been built in the last five to 10 years. Um, because maybe I'll venture to say, and I could be wrong, most of your companies built in the past five to 10 years are going to be very IT business aligned. Outside Companies outside that are not going to be IT business aligned. And so as I was thinking about like my three things I want to talk about around building platforms, enterprise architecture, and my biggest one was like how to change the outdated C-suite. Because if, you know, as I look at these startups and I, I look at, um, I ask myself, how could you do this in a company? And like my business, my biggest lesson I've learned this year so far is like by solving my startup, I started this, this building this little platform. It's uh, basically a Spotify for experiences, but I ended up having to build a second company, which is a media company. And what I realized that most businesses aren't willing to do that I had to do was solve secondary and tertiary problems for markets so I could solve their primary problem I'm trying to solve. And so, for example, my product is uh, it's referred to as Clatch, C-L-A-T-S-C-H.com. Go ahead and check it out. But uh, Clatch is like a Spotify for experiences. Sorry, um, like, sorry. Was that was that Clatch? C L A T C H. Clatch.com. S C H. C L A T S C H. C L A T S C H. dot com. The guy with the C H domain refuses to sell it to me, and I don't know why. And he hasn't done anything with it. So if he listens to this, give me a call. You got my number. But Spotify, like you think about the days, like you know, Chris. I know, I know you're old enough to think about how you used to share a track tapes with people, right? I know, so. I know. <laughs> So you think about it, but you use the, the whole mixtapes and the CDs and everything like that. But that's the, the epitome when you're curating experience for a person. And that's something I wanted to get into is curating experiences. Uh, but as I got businesses on board, what I realized is, you know, small businesses have a problem marketing and telling their story. Um, some of them won't go hire marketing folks. And I don't blame them because they could be expensive. And I have talked to local marketing firms and marketing professionals. 
and you get a varying degree of talent, which is why I could see why small businesses would be unwilling to just invest in something. And some of them just may not have the capability to go out and do a true analysis of what a, a good marketing, local marketing firm looks like. So to build this media company and build videos so I could actually tell their story because I realized I was having what I called an Airbnb problem. So Airbnb was there, they were in the Y Combinator and their New York market was tanking. There's a couple things. Um, and it was a Peter Graham, it was a P Peter Paul Graham, Paul Graham. He writes these essays. Um, and he's part of one of the founders of Y Combinator. But anyways, they were talking about the New York market. And New York market was tanking, but it was in their biggest markets. And they're trying to figure out why. But then they started looking at the pictures of the apartments in New York. And they realized, well, these pictures just aren't as good as other markets. So they bought a camera, rented a camera. The legend goes they rented a camera, went up there, took pictures. And then, you know, the quote-unquote overnight, it turned into a success. But there's a broader story there. He's a dual-sided marketplace. And the Airbnb is helping people who want to rent out their apartments, um, market them to folks who want to rent their apartments or their houses or their rooms or whatnot. And so I found myself in that issue. And I realized, you know, in the startup world, as you're starting things, things are ambiguous. And it goes to like corporations who want a really clear path. They want a strat and not strategy. Let's take strategy. They want a very clear project plan to get from A to B to C as if everything is deterministic. But what you're starting to see, and, and this is not just the startup world, but as you're going forward, trying to add new and additional value is non-deterministic. It by itself is stochastic in nature, so it's probabilistic. And I almost, I mean, literally my bullet points, how to change the outdated C-suite. And so as I was thinking through, I was just thinking about how I can take some of the startup lessons I'm relearning again, but how could I reward them and pre preach them, talk them, discuss them out to help change the C-suite? Because at the end of the day, you either change the C-suite or you change the C-suite. And I think the unfortunate fact for some of those folks is they're just going to be out of a job, um, but it will come at a severe cost to the company that I've seen a couple numerous local firms go through um, where it's a significant impact to the company and then they have to change the C-suite. So what, what does it take to help folks learn how to deal in such a, a probabilistic and stochastic environment in, in, today's, in today's environment? So there's my, my dissertation for what I've learned from this year, and that's why I love being in the startup realm because you can do and you can you can go after that. And it's, it's all about risk. It's, uh, you know, you rate, you, you wait risk versus return, but also there's no such thing as, um, at least in my startup world as entitlement funding. I'm not entitled to anything. Um, it's all project-based funding. So I got my, I set my own limits. I got a thousand dollars to do this after a thousand. If I don't learn something, if I don't do something, if I put myself wrong, I don't spend 5,000 more dollars. I stop, I go into the next thing. Right. Um, yeah. And then the next experiment. So, all right. So if you are, you know, looking at the field of consulting, right, with a slant towards maybe product productization or, or uh, you know, through a startup or something like that, is there, is there you know, yes, there's a financial risk. Yes, um, you know, there, there's risk of failure always. Is, are there other risks? Because, you know, I see people in their early 20s are like, you know, come out of MBA school, whatever. We're going to do it. I'm going to do a startup, right? Blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. By the time you gain that experience and knowledge to, or maybe you, you bring, you know, maybe like the Zuckerbergs, you buy that knowledge. But if you're bootstrapping this, right, you um, you don't have that knowledge at the beginning. And so by the time you do get that knowledge, late 20s, early 30s, maybe later than that, you have other responsibilities in the world. Girlfriend, wife, whatever, husband, children, pets, mortgage, mm -hmm. the other wife, receding hairlines, those sorts of things, right? <laughs> that sounds expensive. <laughs> so, you, can't you, hide money. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, only, it's funny you say that, like, 
people coming out of college, like wanting to do a startup out of college, I think is the worst possible idea. Look at, so the startups are not overnight successes. Seven to 10 years is really where you get your, where you get your groove. Now you see people like Facebook, there's a couple exceptions to the norm, but go back and study their history. What you're going to find is they had access to a network of folks. Think about Bill Gates. Bill Gates' mom was a VP at IBM. These people, and then Facebook, when Facebook was founded, they got, it wasn't Ycom, I forget who it was, but the other, was it Zuckerberg was a sophomore or something like that? But also he had people, he had some, was the original founder of Napster. Severo or Severino, whatever his name is. Yeah. They were, he got access to a network of investors who had a network of help to help him understand things, right? And so what people don't understand in the startup world is the startup world is not just about you solo going and trying to like bulk, you know, the, the mainstream. It's you trying to find a value proposition. And the best way to do that is by finding people around you who are willing to give you feedback. I have a group of mentors that are freaking amazing. And I could not have done what I've done this year without those mentors and that help. To your point is like, you gotta, you have to set yourself up and it's, it's career planning in the modern day. I think career planning 20 years ago and career planning today are really two different things. And you have to think tactically about every 18 to 24 months, what are you going to do to extend your skills? And then if you want to go into the startup world, that's awesome. But what I can tell you right now is I was actually having this discussion with somebody the other day where I built my product, you know, build my product, put it out and you get, get this big rush, you release your product and all of a sudden nobody's at the freaking door to answer the doorbell. Building up the market base is one of the hardest freaking things you can do. It takes skill, it takes talent, but also as a startup founder, you got to figure out how to do it yourself because if you're a founder, you're the best employee you're ever going to have. You're the only one that knows your company in and out. You know that no one's going to pitch it. No matter how many salespeople or guys or girls you hire, you're always going to be the best person out there. And so it's those skill sets that I think, I frankly, I've been you know seven eight years in industry, have I've built been able to build those skill sets up would make a startup easier and less risky. To your point, where the risk is, it can be money, it can be whatnot. I when I left when I left, I set a budget dollar. I said I'm spending X amount of money in the startup and I'm going to lose it. I know it, and I'm going to lose it. Well, so, I'm, I'm wondering about the risk, you know, and maybe it's not important to everybody, but the risk of you're, now you're in your mid to late 30s, you have a successful startup, and you have no life. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it, there's because, you know, back to what I was describing, right, um, with my sort of thought of the year, right, is there's a trade off, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's, you know, something got to give, something something's got to give somewhere, right? You can't have it all. And, you know, there are a few people that look like they have it all. But when you dig into it, they sometimes don't. their life's a freaking mess too, right? I, so, exactly. Life is not a Facebook. Life is like, not a Facebook. Like, I was about to say life's not Instagram. Because I remember talking to somebody there. They're like, they're, they're so into Instagram. Yeah. They're like, why can't I be like this? Why can't I do yeah. that? I'm like, you realize those are so freaking staged. If, if, yeah. if somebody yeah. asked me to that note, right? If somebody currently asks me, this year I kind of realized that um, you know, I would be happier sitting at home and uh, nurturing my daughter uh, to become a beautiful woman, successful person. So that would be my most challenging and more satisfying job over the next 10, 12 years or so. I would be happy to do that. It's just that I don't have an option right now. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I, just, I find it fascinating because, I mean, yeah, completely agree. And I think there are, you know, may, maybe... Bill Bensing's living his dream in the co-work space with the startup, right? And, you know, doing photography and other things on the side. And I don't know if you still MMA fight or not, Bill, but, you oh. know, uh, doing all of these things, right? You, got a, got a couple doing, of local mafias I outsource to. You're just a, yeah, I'm a hitman on Tuesday night. Um, no, but like, you know, there, you, you do have sort of the, I think there are a lot of people that would be uh, happy to 
sort of not do what they do sometimes. I don't know. So, all right. So good. I think good, uh, you know, practical information because, you know, based on the questions and some of the people that I, I spoke to, um, there are actually quite a few people in their uh, early mid twenties that have uh, watched these videos. So I think that that's very practical. Shashi, your turn, buddy. What do you yeah. got? What's your what's your year in review look like? I think it was a very exciting, eventful, um, some great experiences, some self learning, or discovering more about myself. Right. Um, so let's start off with what did I learn about myself first and foremost. You know, in what kind of environment, and when I look back in our old booze days as well, I have come to a conclusion that people don't think or people don't react based on the position or the title they are in a company, right? You can have a senior consultant or you can have a manager who can think like a partner, but at the same time, you can have a partner who thinks like a manager, right? So your thinking does not stop. And that's where sometimes your clashes happen and you are not able to adjust appropriately. That is one thing which I learned about myself. Second thing what I learned is I can take two roles. I can't stay in between. One is I can be a good subordinate where I take instructions and I do to the best of my ability. And second thing is, you know, you leave things up to me. I'll get you the desired outcome, but the process has to be mine. Something which I'm comfortable and how do I achieve the success? So I work in that kind of leadership uh, much better than another kind of leadership where uh, things are more prescriptive in nature. So that's some learning which I did uh, when I worked on different types of project um, in my, uh, you know, this entire year. Second thing what I observed is how do you manage in within, especially within the consulting environment, uh, how to get the best out of new generation of consultants and senior consultants. They would work in an entirely different way. They would not be sitting and, uh, you know, and not looking at their phone. And it's very easy for people of old school consulting style to think that these people are not working hard enough. Um, they do not have enough, uh, you know, work to finish. So you got to adapt to their style of working because that's your next generation of consultants and senior consultants who are very passionate, right? people who really want to learn stuff, uh, people who are willing to work hard, but the way they consume knowledge, consume information or stay motivated is very different than old school, uh, you know, thinking from consulting as well as client as well. I mean, I've seen, you know, sometimes client says that, hey, I need you to be at so-and-so hour, uh, between so-and-so hour every day in my office. Doesn't fly very well with the new generation of senior consultant. Yes, you can do that. But guess what? You're going to lose them sooner rather than later. These are like two big th uh, things which I learned in this entire year. Uh, one more thing which I learned on the personal side is what do I enjoy to do most, right? People ask me, uh, what, what are your plans over the weekend, right? People ask me, what did you do over the weekend? And my answers I realized is more in and around accompanying my daughter either to her math class and observe her from outside uh, solving math problems and getting in front of 50 others smartest student of my county and presenting it to them and getting feedback from uh, um, the PhD of mathematics who is kind of is her teacher. Second is watching her in the Taekwondo class, 
So these are the things which gives me a lot more happiness. I sit outside for three hours, of course, with my laptop, just looking at her inside the Taekwondo school. Right. So these are my answers. This is this is what my entertainment is over the weekend. So Chris, I totally feel what you are saying. Um, you know, life is not about you know making a successful startup. Yes, right now probably Bill has a lot more energy in his tank to uh, create one successful entrepreneur or whatever that may be. But at the end of the day, we I think one has to look at it from 360 degree view, um, and then then see where life takes you. And the most exciting things I started this year is Chris working with this group of four people, and you know getting onto the podcast, talking about things. Yes, it goes on social media, and you know Chris, right? I I'm an ideas guy. I like to talk about stuff. Sometimes I make sense. Sometimes I don't. But I have this phobia of writing, right? I I have ideas I want to write, but I can't. But I think this is a perfect channel where I can express myself by talking to people. So things like Tech After Five, things like you know talking to people over Google Hangout. If I'm sitting with four people or sitting with even with my client, I connect with them beautifully because I can talk with that passion and I translate that passion. Um, so that is one of the most exciting things I have done probably in a long period of time. Listening to you, Shashi, Bill, Chris, listening to you guys both talk, I feel like I'm lacking some humanity. Like, I'm afraid of kids to death, and all I want to do is build my business. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It's, it's just, you know, it's um, it's maybe over, you know, so, it, yeah, okay, I got it, right? Um, I think it's, it's a, almost, a, you know, late 30s, early 40s reaction to this, the consulting lifestyle, especially, right? Strategy consulting and management consulting, maybe less technology consulting, but definitely sort of the, the strategic level consulting, you know, you are, it is beaten into you, right? That you must be type A, you must go all the time, right? Always have your laptop, always be reachable constantly through the weekend, right? All of this stuff for ostensibly for the client. And I think when you, you reach a certain age, you begin to realize like, holy shit, right? Like I'm, I'm going to be on my deathbed and someone's, you know, my great grandkids going to say, you know, great granddaddy, you know, what, what, what's your greatest memory of your life? And what are you going to say? Well, it was the digital transformation I did for uh, client XYZ <laughs> when I showed them how to align their capital expenditure. Like, no, no, it's not. No one is ever going to say that. Right. Um, right. That's you know, I think you, know, you go through phases of life, obviously. And if you don't have kids, it, it changes somewhat, right? But um, it, it's almost this thing where, you know, it doesn't have to be what they are drilling into your head when you're a, an analyst or a junior consultant, right, coming up. And I think, you know, Shashi, you pointed out some of the, the Gen Z or whatever they're calling them now that some of these kids that are coming through have a different level of expectation, right? Um, than what we had, or even what our parents had. So that's probably killing a dead horse with that one. No, they are—they are not—they they are not order takers anymore. They are not order takers anymore. And you're right. Yes, you can use them up and and say you know stay up all night and work all through the night on this thing and do it every week. And you know yes, then the project's done and then they leave. And you know you know what they, what they appreciate they off they appreciate flexibility. Mm -hmm. They appreciate honesty and transparency a lot more. So, I completely agree. You know, and you, you and I have worked with them in the past 
I mean, I'm, I've worked with them in last two projects. You get beautiful result if you really work with them, you know, um, you connect with them at a deeper level. And Chris, yeah. that is something which you and I have in common. Um, and I'm sure, Phil, you are running Tech After Five, Bill, you too. Yeah. You know, connecting with other humans at a deeper level is something which will help you form trusted relationship, whether it's clients, whether it's colleague or anybody else. So you have to not try hard to build connection. Just be honest and transparent. It's beautiful, Shashi. I've got a tear coming yeah. from my eye. <coughs> Single tear. Well, that's good. I was I was kind of trying to help Bill out a little bit. I mean, he was worried about his humanity. And we have scheduled an over-the-air update for his emotion chip. So <laughs> any time now, we'll fix that. One thing that's kind of jumped out at me this year, you know, you guys talked about, you know, consultants, you know, they've, we, you got to be good at what you do and understand the technology, but you should understand the business as well. I think one of the things that I've seen, and it's not, it's in tech in general, not consultants in particular, but tech in general is how do we answer the clear ethical dilemma that so many people are being put to. And we see it, right? We see what's going on with the big companies that are doing some things that seem pretty dastardly. I mean, it wasn't just one person that said, okay, to that, who didn't raise the flags, who didn't inside of an organization say, hold on a second here. I, I get that we're in this for the money, but there are some things we ought to be saying no to. So are you talking like uh, Cambridge Analytics or uh, Facebook, you know, just Facebook in general or? It's all of them, right? I mean, Google, I think it's like. Censored yeah. internet for China. Yeah. I mean, there are a ton of spaces in that, right? And the thing is, and I get that those are made at some, those decisions are frequently made at some senior level, but you've, there's somebody there who's writing the code that says, yeah, we're going to grab this data or we're going to sell it to these people. And you can see it, you know, obviously in various levels inside of Facebook, but I don't think Google's any different. But I think as a consultant, I think it's a pretty serious question of, you know, what do you do when you're asked to do something that you're not sure is the right thing to do? Is there a way, there is no deterministic way. What if there is no deterministic way to say, yes, this is right or wrong? Well, I mean, you have both what's going on inside of your head, what's going on inside of your corporate culture, what's going on inside of the consulting enterprise that you're working for, right? I mean, and I have been in the spot, you know, usually when this comes up and I'm having this conversation, I'm thinking about, I can remember very specifically being asked to expose a bunch of private data inside an organization to a person in particular that I wasn't sure was authorized to see it. So now the question is, what am I supposed to do? You know, and my thing was to say no, and you got to get your boss's boss to come back and say, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're not going to, we can't hide the fact that we are showing you someone else's private data. Wow. This, this is, for, I, I, this no, crowd's for clamped. Like I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm looking at, so there, there's the, it was the normative ethical theories, right? Utilitarianism, Dantonology. Dentinology, uh, virtue ethics, ethical care, just egoism. Hold, hold for a second, Bill. Yeah. You're, you're rattling these things off as if they're obvious. A, B, known to the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, side note, I don't know the stuff. They're sitting here on my computer screen as I Google. <laughs> so. I mean, the thing is, there's a prag. I mean, my get my question is: Do we have frameworks? Do we think we're having enough of these conversations? I think that we're not, right? 
And I'm, I'm, I don't need to get into the, you know, pragmatism. I don't need Hume versus Kant. I mean, I'm not, I don't need that bit, right? But, but the question is, do we have something to talk, some framework for this? Other than it's illegal and it'll put you in jail. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think what you're talking about is the perfect question to ask. What is our framework of ethical reference? How many yeah. companies have you walked in? Because everybody talks about ethics. And I've been with a large defense contractor where ethics was just basically protecting themselves from any, not losing a future um, contract. That was yeah. ethics. Anything right. that could be perceived as losing a contract, that was their ethics. But to your point, you talk about a framework. What if you said, okay, here's the ethical theory we're adopting of all the 10 different ones. We're adopting this, and this is what we believe in. Now, if you don't believe in this ethical approach, that's okay. You're not a fit with our company. But also, it explains exactly why we make the decisions we make. What if you went oh my that, God. Is that Is that discriminating based on creed? I'm just I'm asking yeah. the question. I don't know yeah. the answer. No, it's yeah. discriminating based on creed, too. Hey, I'm not. <laughs> hey, I like that. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, not accept a job offer because I don't believe in their um, ethical framework. It's as simple as that. Whether I believe in their ethical framework or not is a secondary question. So mm. I think that is a big time fluff in my mind. So well, Shashi Sharmali went to work for mm. We Steal Candy from Babies dot com, <laughs> and uh, it was no problem, right? It was just a, it was a great gig. I, again, so you asked me about what are my thoughts? You know, what is a learning out of this? And I think that this is an area which is fuzzier than is useful for us at the moment, mm. and mm. we've got to answer these questions. I'm stealing that phrase, fuzzier than is useful. Yeah, I love it. I mean, some things we leave intentionally vague so that we can interpret them in the at the moment, right? We need that ability. But this, uh, we we can't agree on what's right or wrong about. Again, outside of GDPR, PCI, HIPAA, uh, you know, there are some, these those frameworks, but the rest of them, right? I mean, there's a bunch of spaces in which we don't have a good framework, and I, and how do we decide what's legal, what's not? All right. So I did I did some uh, I did some research. I talked to some of the people that have watched this. Uh, podcast the past 12 episodes and i have some questions that I, I i received and i thought i would i would put out there so the first is is to shashi um shashi you seem like a funny guy have you ever thought about potentially writing some comedy uh i have one written and it's uh, sitting on my mailbox hopefully one day i i'm going to try and you know that i'm, I'm going to try and do that sometime in future i didn't know that you wrote comedy I, I, I've done like um, some skits and play in my uh, undergrad days, which was highly valued. Even I did not know that side of me. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to be, you're going to see me in a comedy club, maybe. I love it. I, 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 I had no idea. I'm looking forward to it. Lightning round. Lightning uh -oh. round. How old is Bill? <laughs> he just told us that. 32. <laughs> Um, a follow-up, it wasn't the same person, but since we're talking about you, um, there were a number of questions about what, what equipment you use, specifically lighting. <laughs> um, oh, God, I can't call the names out, but it's a bunch of cheap stuff from Amazon. Can you, can you turn the camera, or can we see it? Or Yeah, so I've got a whole big setup here, but uh, the lighting is cheap set. Right now, I'm just using natural lighting from the window, um, but right now I have a Shure, was it SMB7? Um, I'm not using my pop filter, but uh, I'm running on a, um, was it Zion uh, X122? Um, output uh, for my, my mixer, but I'm not really running through the mixer. I uh, run my compressor as a 266SS from DBX. Um, I do run a digital interface here, but it's only on one channel, and you can't see. I'm like, hold on a second. Where are you guys at? Sorry. 
this is not gonna make sense this digital mixer uh but then i run through an art to preamp to give me a bit of a warm sound so i can show that again if that's you guys... cheating oh, i know not a big cheater <laughs> so but that's not all my audio equipment because if you can see behind me i have a lot more um, video equipment on the ground sort of can't really see I love that, it. And all that stuff over but here. But the neat but... thing is, with all that equipment, he doesn't have to wear long pants. Because <laughs> it's heating the room for him. Or exactly. pants at all. Or <laughs> pants at all, for that matter. You do not want me to stand up. <laughs> Just saying. Phil seems like the wise one. Has he ever written a book? Would he ever consider writing a book? Uh, I'm going to pick up Shashi's book and just put my name on it and try to get that thing published. <laughs> now that I know that work is done, I mean, I think that's the way to go. Um, yeah, I would. I, I've got a book in me, it, but it's not out of me yet. It's still in me. All right, this one was for me. I thought this was funny. Chris uh, seems to use a lot of filler words. What's up? <laughs> uh, hmm. Well then, uh, you know. I, apparently, yeah, I've, you know, as I've edited these things, I do say, you know, like a lot uh, or write. I'll say, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you state something and then you just say, right, as if it, you know, it, then it enters the realm of fact. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't know why I use a lot of filler words. Um, Shashi, where does Shashi live? Uh, not the address, Shashi. You know. <laughs> it's in uh, New, New Jersey, New York area. New Jersey, New York. Because he won't even tell that. us the state. <laughs> <laughs> the the tri-state area. <laughs> the tri-state area. Wow. On, on the border of New Jersey, New York, or on the New Jersey side. I mean, I know where you. Protection live. program. I think uh, that probably is because I, I think we've talked about Greenville, South Carolina, a lot, Phil, and I know Bill has talked about being in uh, Florida and Tampa. Or right. are you in St. Pete or Tampa? St. No. Pete. St. Pete. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Okay. St. Pete's better. Worst client experience of the year, Shashi. Oh, yeah. Mm, it's not a worst client experience, but, uh, um, you know, there's a project I worked on. Uh, I mean, all, all client ex projects have some challenges or the other. Nothing is smooth. Otherwise, we as consultant wouldn't be invited. First and foremost. Good point. Um, so, one typical one which I've seen is, um, you know, it's a startup type of company, but sometimes we find people who have more uh, bureaucratic mindset in terms of uh, and longer decision making power. So sometimes, like you are split between, okay, whether I go in a lean, agile way like a startup, uh, you know, without going through the whole. Uh, you know, consulting diligence in order to recommend something because they need to move fast. But at the same time, um, there are another set of people who want to go through the different level of different rigor. So that takes a longer time. So question is, you know, how do you balance between the both? Um, so that's one of the challenges I had to deal with uh, with one of my clients. I don't know yeah. if this person thinks that we complain about the clients a lot or what. Or something. Well, I mean, I think this is a thing that probably lots of people have lots of bad experiences. Again, probably fodder for a show unto itself, both a recounting of some of this as well as, uh, well, how are some of your, what are some of your responses to this kind of stuff? So my world's a little bit different, and this story's a little bit older than that. But, you know, I did, in fact, have a client where I went in, we started a project with them, and I said, you know what, this just isn't a good fit. This doesn't, I mean, you and me, this just isn't working out. And I, uh, you know, I canceled the contract and wrote him a check for what 
the balance of what was there and just said, you know what, this just isn't a good fit. And, uh, and in my case, the reason was, again, good people, but they had expectations I just couldn't meet. And I just like, I can't do that. I'm, we're, we're not going to, we can't operate together that way. So let me just write you a check and I'll go do something else with my time. Mm, that's so, ballsy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I was, and the thing is, then I was no longer worried about them. I mean, yeah, it cost me. There's opportunity costs. I had to give them that money back. But the thing is, I went and got to work with people I really do like, and I'm spending my time doing projects I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I am not sitting there late at night thinking, "Oh my God, this person is driving me crazy," uh, and I still and I have to do it. So Does, I think one of the spots you want to be in your life. I mean, it, you know, depending if you're big, you're off doing one thing. But if you're small and uh, trying to run from gig to gig. Um, you got to be in a spot where you say, I don't have to say yes to stuff that I'm going to hate because mm -hmm. it, it's just life yeah. is not worth that. I mean, you know, again, there are times where you got to take the money, you know, you got to you got to feed your family, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I like, for example, the thing that Bill pointed out earlier, which is get your costs down to where your costs aren't driving you to do to get to do stuff you don't want to do that's a great place to be it doesn't work for everybody but if you can somehow avoid getting on the hamster wheel wholesale mm. um it's a good move you know that's yeah i don't think i don't think people enter life saying i want to get on the hamster wheel right it's I, something that just sort of happens but if you and, and i think it kind of happens because at least you know in my experience i mean my parents my father's manufacturing he creates steel Right, that that form things like airplane wings and cars. Yeah. Right. So, this world is 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 a is a different world, right? And he didn't, um, in in this particular respect, wasn't able to impart knowledge on sort of how to avoid that rat race kind of thing because he wasn't in the rat race, right? Yeah. Um, he was doing something that he loved, and you know, if they paid him, that was great. Um, so you know, I don't think people like intentionally enter the rat race and i think a lot of people really don't know that they're actually opening the the door to the hamster wheel and gingerly stepping in when they accept a particular job or move to a particular city or uh, embark on a particular career they don't know that that's actually what they're doing and i think you know how powerful would it be you know if there's just one person watching right that is about to enter a career and um, here's what you just said, right? And then thinks to themselves, "Am I gonna? Am I entering the rat race by taking this job, getting out of college? Because I don't want to be in that rat race." And well, it may and, look glamorous. Hey, the yeah. dollar signs might look good, right? And all that sort of stuff. But man, I mean, the the things that we've shared, you know, I've shared about my health, and Shashi shared about you know travel and and some other things. It's like it may not be worth it. Yeah. You know, one of my uh, favorite consultants has worked out his gig in such a way that he does like two or three years of gigs for somebody. And then he takes nine months off. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> and he was off doing something else, you know, getting on a boat, sailing someplace, doing what he wants to do. But that's the way he recharges his batteries between gigs. Yeah. I, I know someone like that. I wonder if it's the same person, but I mean, I, I bet know, it is come to think of it. I think it, you know. it might be right. And it's yeah. just like, you know, text him like, Hey, you want to, you want to grab a beer or whatever on Friday? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm sailing in the Bahamas. I'm like, that, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, don't, don't you have a job? <laughs> like, yeah, he does. <laughs> don't you have, you have kids. 
right. right. You have, you're on your second wife. You have commitments. Right. right. right? Like, <laughs> how do you just sail away? Because <laughs> I want to know, because that's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you got to think of those pieces. You know, you. I think you're absolutely right that it is super easy to not see it, but it, it the, 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 the seductive allure, right? The siren's call of this life can be, well, you know, I've gone and joined, you know, I, I decided that I got out of college. Now I'm working for this big company. This is cool. I noticed a lot of the other guys and you're going to, they're going to look at someone who's been doing this 10 years and they're going to look at his car and think, oh, I got to have that. Yeah, that's more than I would pay, but they'll lend it to me because I got you know, I got a good paycheck coming in. You know what I'm saying? So it's one step and then it's a house or whatever. But those are the big things. For everybody, it's different. And I'm not saying those aren't things you ought not to do. But if you get on that wheel, getting off is pretty hard. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Bill Bensing, what was your worst? Well, you were often the client. So I don't know how we how we work this question for you. But the question was, what was your worst client experience this year? Up to this past year, I've had one main client that's definitely not been a bad experience. But um, in the startup world, I do leverage my uh, my consulting talents to um, help in other aspects. Um, so I'm careful sometimes, and I've also learned over the past year again, and I always relearn this lesson no matter what. Um, be careful who you try to help. Um, it's not that anybody is malicious. It's not that anybody's bad. It's just that some people will take up a lot more of your time then the investment may be worth and but part of it too is like i mean how, how do you talk to people about that how do, how, do, how do you judge that how do you relate that and then also how do you just pour the pull the cord when you need to pull the cord um so that's been my my biggest like i haven't had a singular bad client but there's been times where i'm like you know what i need to have a very hard talk with some people and just let them know that there's three or four steps they need to take before I can re-engage them again. Um, you know, when I think about worst client experience, right, there, there's a couple ways to look at it. There's, you know, the worst client, right? I, I haven't had a bad client this year, right? Then um, there's sort of the worst experience at a client that may or may not be the client. Right. You know, I, so I, I'm, I'm going to go with that one because, um, you know, I, I had an experience this year where, um, client's great. Work is, is great. Um, colleague, you know, um, had other things going on and wasn't as engaged as maybe could have been. And, um, you know, that, that, you know, that, that, uh, that caused, it's not a problem per se. Right. But it, it's, it's like the, it's like the cylinder that's not hitting. Right. It's like, you know, if we were just on the same page, for a week, right? Like this would, we could get so much amazing stuff done. Um, it ended up, you know, uh, he moved on uh, to different uh, uh, client and ultimately different company. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, I don't know that it was stressful. It was just like, you know, we could be doing so much more for this client if we were working together. I, I hesitate to say perhaps it was a people problem. I'm not sure. Oh, wait, let me get my book. Worst travel experience. Worst travel experience. So, you know, consultants travel a lot. Shash, oh my God, what yes. Was, what was your worst travel experience this year? So it, it happened like um, a couple of weeks ago. So I used to land at my client location at around 10 o'clock. And there was some, you know, client escalation where they were, we were asked to be in office before 10. So I had to take an early flight. 
So, you know, I rebooked my flight. My flight left at 6.30 a.m. Uh, from LaGuardia. Um, and then, you know, I was sitting in the flight and I, you know, it was too early in the morning. So I dozed off in the flight. And moment I opened my eyes and I hear an uh, pilot saying, hey, we, the weather was not good. We hovered around for 30 minutes. We are heading back to LaGuardia Airport. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no flight after that. Bill Bensing, what was your worst travel experience this year? Can I punt this one to Phil real quick? By and 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 it? by the way, the the bridge from St. Pete to Tampa that doesn't count as a <laughs> yeah. travel experience. At least you know it's horrible. It is horrible. It is. It's oh. terrible. Um, you know, go I'm going to punt this to Phil. Phil, go for it because yeah. I got to think about this one. Yeah, this is funny because you know I have given up traveling a lot right i have not traveled a lot uh this year but twice not once but twice we have had my wife drop me off at our local airport for a flight that was going to up to pittsburgh and the leg from here to charlotte was canceled or foobarred in some way that my wife had to drive back and drive me to charlotte yes <laughs> I can empathize with that so many times. <laughs> yeah. And if it's, if it's not that leg, it's the leg coming back. And the yeah. number of times I've had to rent a car in Charlotte or Atlanta, man, I, I feel you. I feel you on that one. Yeah. So, you know, and of course someone who's not from around might not know, but I mean, it's only a hundred miles, but the thing is because we had time constraints on one way or the other, I had to be up there. You know, my wife, had to jump she jumps in a car drives me up there so i can make that other flight which you can do um but of course she's driving 200 miles for something that i had paid for a ticket for and of course i got nothing back out of that right of course you never do yeah um uh, in solidarity with you phil i i poured another um this one is mahogany in color uh, with hints of maple uh this one is called the mount carmel uh, nut brown ale, which sounded Christmassy to me. It was in the beer cooler. Not really sure where it came from. <laughs> I'm sure something important happened on Mount Carmel. I just don't know what it was. Is that where the? Is that where the? Uh, uh, I was going to say the Ark of the Covenant. No, but what's no the other Ark? The the other Ark. Where's that Ark? Not that Noah's Ark either. Is Mount, it Mount Ararat? Is that Mount? Yeah, that's Mount Ararat. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Mount Carmel, isn't that where the Hershey's plant is? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at that, Bill. I couldn't even get that out of him. So while we're checking I liked that, it. Bill, what? So, so worst travel experience, right? Yeah. All right. So um, it wasn't even a Friday, but it was a 13th. It was January 13th. It was a Saturday. It's about 8.07 in the morning. I'm in a about, grocery store. About 8.07? It's about 8.07 in the morning. It's a grocery it's store. It's awfully precise. Very precise. I remember this moment because, frankly, I thought I was going to lose my life. It, it, it was it was a life and death moment. That we we thought at that point in time. I'm sitting there in this grocery store, and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, I was in Hawaii when I was doing this, and everybody's phone just goes do 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 do. You know that that alert sound, and we get this little thing that says, "Hey, there's an inbound missile headed for Hawaii." Oh, so I was in Hawaii when that happened. I was in I Kona when that happened. Well, it was a mistake, wow. wasn't it? It was a mistake. No, but, no it actually you know. happened. There was a mistake. <laughs> oh, Hawaii's still there. <laughs> they moved it. Exactly. It lost. <laughs> Did you turn a wheel underground? We just floated a little, little bit yeah. west. But uh, I remember because like everybody's in there and, um, and and we're sitting in this grocery store and everybody looks up and nobody knows what the heck to do. The people in the grocery store have no clue what to do. 
half of us there aren't, we don't live Hawaii. We're not natives. And so everybody's looking at each other. Some people start crying and everything like that. We're like, okay, so what's going on? But we, we didn't know if it was a joke was real, but everybody got it. And so, so that you're was saying the messaging was effective over. in that That's you got the message, been. but ineffective in that no one knew what to do with that information. <laughs> exactly. Highly effective because we all got it. Like my dad called two seconds later, he's at the hotel and he said, Hey, you know, we, you get this message. And then I tried calling people in the mainland, but seven hours, it was at Hawaii seven hours before most of the time. So it was like three o'clock in the afternoon there. Anyway, everybody's sleeping. So I reach out to a bunch of people. I'm like, Hey, have you guys heard of missiles coming towards Hawaii? Like, we just got this message. Can somebody, because the internet, like, once that text went out, yeah. the internet was, you could not get internet, cell internet, nothing. I could not get Twitter. I could get nothing. But also, we didn't see anything on Twitter and Facebook for almost 35 to 40 minutes after we got the initial alert, which was interesting to see how long it takes information to propagate. So um, that was that was the first bad thing that happened. And as I was leaving Hawaii, which well, that was a bad thing to happen to leave Hawaii, um, we got the wheel off the ground, and then all of a sudden the jet slammed back on the ground, and something was wrong. So we had to spend another white night in Hawaii, um, which that was absolutely horrible. I don't know that that's a terrible experience, though, Bill. For me, had, not, had to spend another night in Hawaii. For me, it was not that bad. We had an extra. We we had a um, we had a uh, a uh, timeshare that we had an extra night at. Um, but for the rest of the people on that airplane, they had, most of them had to spend the night in the Kona Airport, which is not an air-conditioned airport it's all outside and hawaii is not exactly the least least human place in the world so wow yeah so that was my that was my travel experience for this year trapped in hawaii i know it was so humid says the guy from st petersburg florida <laughs> yeah, right. sounds like a hallmark special really <laughs> right. shashi is college still necessary to be a consultant it depends on how an individual consumes knowledge. You need to have the knowledge. Some people can uh, consume knowledge by just reading, um, by you know going and doing things by themselves, self-motivated. But some other people need a, a standard platform like universities where they need to go and educate themselves, get the degree. They need like, if I do these 12 chapters and if I get A or A+, I know this subject well. Um, so it's a different way to consume knowledge. Um, either way, if you can do it, that's great. But in terms of being a consultant, I don't think you have to think like one. Moment you can think like one, you are one. Mm. That is one part of the problem. Second part of the problem is how companies, uh, different organizations, consulting firms attract talent. Nobody would hire you if you do not have a degree. It's very, very difficult. So the challenge would be if you have consumed knowledge in your own channel the way you like it, you may need to figure out a way to get into the industry. Once you have a set of experience, um, then companies would be willing to look at you. And I, and I think that's what happened in your case, Chris. Um, but um, some companies go to standard university platform and recruit from there. So it's, again, a, university in my mind is a demand supply uh, platform. It's like mm -hmm. an Uber of education. Uh, where demand and supply meet together. It's another way to get into the workforce. So that's yes, not necessary. Education. Yeah. So <laughs> you... Uh, so, so I think it's not a must, but it's a it's a proven path, and that's how the industry works at this point in time. I don't know where I am in this, but I think college was never necessary. I mean, oh, this is gonna be a good fight. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't think it ever was necessary. I mean, yeah, you're not gonna be able to work. There's a lot of places you can't work, but there are a lot of places you can work. And you know, if ever there was a thing that was a meritocracy, it's IT consulting. If you are good at what you do, 
you don't have to show anybody any paper to prove it. You can just be good at what you do. Now, if you want to work around other cats who've got advanced degrees and things like that, then you're going to have to do that probably to get a seat at that table. But the fact is you can go out and you can hang a shingle or you can work with someone who says, look, we just want people who can show they're good at what they do. And I think you can get a job right away. I think college has changed drastically in the past. I, I was used to 20 years. Everybody uses the past 20 years. But it is a, it's a tool for information asymmetry. Um, now, this is going to be heuristic, but I just like myself, I'm not too far out of college. Um, <laughs> and I, you're, not, you're not that young, Bill. Quit, quit <laughs> oh, here we go. Back and forth. Yeah, go back and forth. Like, now I'm old, now I'm young. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you can tell, I think, it comes to knowledge versus experience, right? Knowledge and experience. So experience is knowledge implemented, but knowledge is the basis for experience. What I like about the college concept is it gives you knowledge. It may not give you direct experience, but it gives you knowledge. But also it gives you, you ask yourself, what are the, what, what are the trade-offs to going to college versus not going to college? And what are the experience and knowledge that you can derive from that? Um, and it's just the knowledge versus experience. Um, I undergraduate, two master's degrees, probably well overeducated for anything. Um, I just spent the government's money, then I end up having to pay them back a lot more. And <laughs> also somebody made a really good point. They started showing like t uh, cars from like 100 years ago versus cars today. And they showed like TV and communication devices. And then they showed a picture of a classroom 100 years ago and a picture of a classroom today. And guess what didn't change? The classroom. Interesting. So there is uh, you know, the, the way we do education. Just the way we do it has not changed in a long time, but everything around us has. So I think there is a lot of maybe rhetorical evidence to say we need to rethink how this looks. But also a, a, a cart and buggy versus a Ferrari. Those are big rhetorical differences, too. So it's, you have to be very careful in the argument. Yeah. So is, is university necessary? I don't know if it's necessary. I think, you know, it certainly helps um, in, in a lot of respects in terms of um, gaining an ability to think critically about something, to analyze a problem, whether it's a hard science problem or, you know, uh, analyzing, you know, why did the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor, right? You know, you can, you can analyze, you can distill things down and analyze and then come up with a story around, you know, your interpretation of those things. I think that's important for everybody. Um, you know, if you're going to be a doctor, you should probably go to medical school, right? Would kind of be my answer to this question. So, right. All right. We're, uh, what was the best business move that you saw, I guess, in industry, Shashi, this year? Uh, one thing in my health insurance industry, and everybody has been cribbing about it, um, but one, uh, Three companies merging together: Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and uh, I forgot one more. One more company. They got together, and um, now they are forming a health insurance and health provider uh, for uh, their own employees as a prototype. One mm. million employees across three companies. I think that's a fantastic move. And if that prototype works, um, then they are going to scale it um, to the larger audience, and the entire health insurance industry will be disrupted and Healthcare industry would be a challenge. It's not an easy job, but I'm excited to see the outcome of um, that venture. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, the special right. year in review edition of Consultants Saying Things. Happy Christmas. Uh, I, Shashi had to drop, but we had Shashi, we had uh, Bill Bensing and Phil Yanoff. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thank you for a good 2018, and uh, we'll see you next time. I mean next year. <laughs>
All right, guys. <laughs> Merry Adios. Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. <laughs>